Good morning. We'll be reading today from Colossians 4, 7 through 18. The Apostle Paul writes, Tychius will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also at the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting to you in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. May God bless the reading and the hearing of this word. Thank you, Mike. Let this be a reminder that uh, be glad that you were not chosen to do the scripture reading this morning with all those hard names. Mike drew the short, st the short straw this week. That was a tough reading. <laughs> so I, I had to go to someone who I knew had seminary training to handle the names this morning. So uh, thank you for your reading, faithful reading of God's word. Um, if you've been with us the last several months, um, you'll recall that we've, we've been in the book of Colossians since September, and today is the, the end of that journey. Um, I think we've done 10 or 11 uh, teachings through the book of Colossians, and we'll finish it today. And like the front of your bulletin says, it's, it's, it's an encouragement. This, this, this book has been an encouragement to understand that there is a kingdom that we cannot see, but that by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, a new kingdom has come. And the primary emphasis of this book and this teaching series has been to try to understand what it means to live for that kingdom, for that kingdom of Jesus that he has brought about. And so I just want to read from Colossians 1, verse 13, to remind us what kingdom we're actually talking about. So at the very beginning of the book, Paul says, he, meaning God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so it's around that verse that the whole, the whole letter to the Colossians unlocks. 
that just like the Colossian church 2,000 years ago, we today, the, the Salem church, the North Shore church, has been delivered from the domain of darkness and has been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus. And that's, that's where our life finds real meaning and purpose is when we live in line and for that kingdom. So that's what we've been trying to understand together these last several weeks. And this morning, we'll kind of bring it all the way around uh, towards as we finish up this letter uh, this morning. So just to get us started, um, want to get us off the ground here. Uh, I, I read this week about uh, the, the company Airbnb. Are you guys familiar with what Airbnb is? You can, you can rent out a room in your house to people and make money off of it. Um, I imagine that actually probably happens quite a bit in Salem. I've, I've heard a lot of stories of people renting out rooms, particularly the month of October, to make a little extra money and house the million or so people that came through Salem in the last month. Um, that's, that's also kind of a scary thing to do, to rent out a room in your house, right? You may not know what kind of person's coming through your doors. And so there's been some hesitancy from a lot of people to, to go down that path, to rent out a room just because they don't want to have a crazy person in their home, maybe that they don't know anything about. And so to help, to help alleviate that concern, the CEO of Airbnb, um, his name is Brian Chesky, he decided to rent out a room in his own house to prove to people that it's okay to do this and to build some trust. He's basically saying, if, I'm, if I can do it, you can do it. Follow my example. And so, uh, and they, they put this out in the news to try to get it you know, widely known from people. And he said this, so this is the CEO of Airbnb, quote, it's a really nice bedroom. There's a little bit of, of Airbnb history. I'll make you fresh cookies if you come. You can come to the gym with me. We'll take a walk to the park. There's a lot of fun things we'll do. And Chesky said, uh, if he wanted to show people, he, he wanted to show people if the founder of Airbnb could do it, then you could do it as well. And he goes on to talk about all the security background checks and all the safeguards they have in order to make this, this thing not so risky, not so scary. The reason I bring that up that story this morning is I think, you know, as we're getting to the end of Colossians and Mike reads all these names that sound more like dinosaurs than real names, you kind of get to this, you're like, well, what's, this, what's the relevance of all these names to me today? I don't know who Aristarchus is or any of these people. Um, what does that have to do with the kingdom of God in my life today? And I think it's a little bit of like what the Airbnb CEO was doing. It, he stepped out to show the way for the others to give a trustworthy way to step into something. And I think these names this morning, if we understand just a little bit about who they are, but even see from a broader perspective them together, we can see how we can actually be like them too. We can learn from their trusted understanding of one another and love and affection for one another and maybe follow after their same pattern and path of life also. So I'm kind of excited. I had some fun in prepping for this sermon this week because a lot of my sermon preparation this week was trying to get to know these people in this story. And most of them, I didn't know much of anything about. And I'm, I'm just imagining probably you don't know much about these folks either. And so the book of Hebrews says at one point in chapter 12, 
it, chapter 11, it, it does a similar thing. It talks about this whole list of people from the Old Testament. And then as chapter 12 comes in, Paul or, Paul or the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So in the same way that the author of Hebrews was saying, let's look at all these cloud of witnesses and look to Jesus, because we're not in this alone. Let's do the same with this group of people this morning from Colossians. So you ready? Let's do this. I don't care if you're ready or not. I'm going to keep talking. You can't get me off this stage until 1130. I promise I'll let you go. Um, so we're going to look at these people. And I'm going to give you just a brief, a brief background to them. I'm going to try to put it in kind of categories to help you understand how I think Paul is bringing them up and why it's important. So talking about the people of the kingdom here, um, first, I'm going to, if you look at verses 7, 8, and 9, I'm going to call this group of, uh, the first initial group of people, faithful Christians. Faithful Christians that Paul brings up. So again, Paul is writing a letter to a, to a church. And as part of this, He's going to write about certain people. And the first group is faithful Christians. And it's two people that Paul is sending to the town of Colossae, where the Colossians live. He's sending this letter with these two people. So they are hand-delivering this letter, bringing it to the church. And both of these people are referred to as faithful and beloved. It says... First, Tychicus. It says, he will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. Two things. One, that you, know, that, that you may know how we are to give a report, how Paul's doing. And two, so that he can encourage your hearts. Here's the thing about almost all these people we're going to learn about this morning. You only get one or two or maybe three examples in the rest of the Bible as to who they are. These are mostly anonymous, kind of nobody people. These are not famous people. And Tychicus is kind of that way. But to Paul, he's famous. To Paul, he's a faithful and beloved brother, a faithful minister who's been alongside him. You see Tychicus in Acts chapter 20, that's, he's accompanying Paul on a missionary journey through Macedonia. And he's right next to Paul during his big adventures. Paul kind of gets the limelight, but Tychicus is right next to him the whole time. You see almost the exact same description of Tychicus in the book of Ephesians as well. So you almost get the impression that Tychicus is kind of the, the, the messenger that Paul likes to send his letters with. He's like the postman for Paul. He's like, hey, take this letter, but also I'm going to send Tychicus because he's a, he's a great faithful person who can encourage you while he's there and give updates. Um, and so he does the same thing for the Ephesian church as well. Next, we learn about uh, this person named Onesimus in verse 9. He comes alongside with Tychicus. So Tychicus and Onesimus are kind of this group that come together. 
And what we know from Anisimus is only from one other place in the Bible, and it's the book of Philemon, which is a short little book, but it's a very interesting book because the whole story of Philemon is the story of Onesimus, who is Philemon's runaway slave. So Onesimus is a slave who had run away, and Philemon was the owner of Onesimus at the time. Which again, if you go into the history of what the ancient Near East was like in that time, slavery was not only common, it was very common. Some say almost half of the population were slaves, and it was that important to the economic system. And so the Bible kind of speaks into a culture where slavery was just part of the the economics. And of course it's wrong. Of course it's wrong. And they speak into that as well. But Paul also writes into that context of how should a slave and a master be in relationship to one another if the system is not going to be changed anytime soon, which it wasn't at the time. So if you remember a few weeks ago when Dan Darko was here and he was talking about the roles in the kingdom, primarily husband and wife and children and parents, There was also mentioning there of slave and master, right? And he mentioned how a slave should be an obedient slave or an obedient servant to their master. Not saying that it's right, but if you're going to be in that situation, be obedient to those who are above you. Onesimus was someone who Paul really began to love. And and Paul actually refers to him as a son because Paul got to know Onesimus when Onesimus kind of fled from 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 his, his master Philemon. And Paul actually in the letter tells Onesimus to go back to Philemon and to reconcile because he didn't think that was the best way to break the tie. And yet now here is Onesimus later on, who's now part of Paul's traveling team, who's helping pass along the message of the gospel. And so the summary of both of them in verse nine says, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So again, that's coming from Paul. Where is here? I don't even know if I've mentioned this yet in our study in Colossians. Where is Paul when he's writing this letter? He's in jail. He's in a Roman prison. Now, it's probably more like a house arrest. So he probably had some freedom to come and go a little bit and have visitors So don't picture like a dark dungeon necessarily. It's a little bit different than maybe the image we get. He had some house arrest uh, situation. But he's basically saying, Onesimus and Tychicus have been with me and I've given them a full report of how I'm doing. And they'll tell you all about how things are going. Not just for my life, but how things are going in Rome, the powerful capital of the Roman Empire as well. These two guys are faithful. I mean, do you see that how much trust Paul is putting with them to go and deliver this news and to care for a church that's hundreds of miles away? Faithful Christians. That's the first big group. The second group that maybe I can categorize for you is verses 10 and 11. If you want to look there, these are, I would categorize these folks as committed Christians. And we hear here, we, we learn here about three Jewish believers that Paul also has, verses 10 and 11. And these are folks that, are, that Paul is not sending with the letter to the church, but he's sending greetings from him to the church. So they're not actually gonna be there in person, but they're gonna, Paul is saying, these people wanna say hi. They're passing their greetings on to you. 
These are the ones who are maybe staying with Paul or who had just visited him recently. And they're ones that have some kind of connection to the Colossians. They're not being sent out yet. They maybe don't have that much of a trust with Paul yet to be sent out and entrusted with that message. But they're in a season of growth and training and they're worth investing in. They're people that Paul keeps close to him, almost like he's, he's their mentor. He's their discipler. He's pouring his, his life into them so that they could be growing. One, one commentary calls them junior colleagues of Paul. So they're like little, little Paulites, little Paul juniors, so that when Paul passes away, these are the guys that can kind of come up next. And the three guys, again, they kind of sound, the first guy kind of sounds like a dinosaur name, Aristarchus in verse 10. And then the next guy is Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And the third guy, his name is actually Jesus, or as he's called, Justice. Important caveat there, that's not Jesus of Nazareth. That's not Jesus the Messiah. It's a different name. Same name, different person. Jesus was actually a very common name in that time. But these three guys, again, we don't know much about them from the Bible, but Aristarchus, he was, he was in Ephesus with Paul in Acts chapter 19. Also, he traveled with Paul. But one of the unique things about, that we know about Aristarchus is that in, the, in Acts chapter 19, when Paul is talking to the Ephesians, you may remember this story, the Ephesians aren't particularly happy about what Paul is preaching about Jesus because they're worshiping another god named Artemis. And so they actually, they get really upset with Paul and they drag Paul out of the auditorium where he's preaching and they throw him in like a prison for a while. But do you know who was also with Paul when that happened? Aristarchus. So who's also being dragged out of that theater or that auditorium? Aristarchus. So he's experienced something really traumatic with Paul. Also, do you remember when the, the story of when Paul was on a, on a ship that was going uh, eventually to Rome? Remember the ship got into a big storm and wrecked and they had to land on this island? Guess who was in that shipwreck with Paul? Aristarchus. Can you imagine the stories that they have together? Again, this is just proving the commitment that Paul has to this guy and that this guy has to Paul. They're together. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Um, interesting thing about this guy, the one thing we know about him is from Acts chapter 15, is it actually says that Paul had refused to take Mark on his missionary journey with him because there had been just a huge disagreement. Mark had abandoned them at one point and basically lost all the trust that Paul had for him. And so at one point in their history, Paul and Mark were like totally on, at odds with one another to the point where Paul said, I don't want that guy coming with me anymore because he abandoned me. He's not committed. But now, clearly they're on friendly terms again, right? I think it's, it's, an, it's a really great story of, of something coming full circle that a guy who once showed how uncommitted he was now is actually one of Paul's closest you know, junior mentors. And then you get Jesus called Justice. And this may be the only time in the whole Bible he's mentioned. There's one other obscure reference in Acts 18 that might refer to this guy. Or again, it was such a common name, maybe it was another guy. But the only thing it says is that he was in Corinth, another city, and that he was a worshiper of God. That's all we know about him. All three of these guys, it says 
in verse 11, these are the only men of the circumcision, meaning that they're Jewish believers, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a great comfort to me. So there's that word kingdom that we're talking about, right? They are together in the kingdom work for God. The last group of Christians that I want to tell you about, I think is the most interesting group. And as I'm explaining these people, maybe your mind has already gone to this place, but maybe you're identifying with one group or one person within a group. And I would actually encourage you to maybe let your mind or heart go that way. Which person is, is your heart kind of connecting to the most as we talk through? So you have the faithful Christians, the committed ones that are still growing. And then you have this third group, which I would, I would categorize as the gifted Christians. The ones who have clear, deep giftings from God that are so public that almost anybody can recognize them. And these are three Gentile, so non-Jewish people that have kind of been, come in and, and believe the gospel at some point. But they have these unmistakable gifts that God has given them. And the first one is a guy named Epaphras. And we get the longest description of this guy than we do of any other person in this section. It's verses 12 and 13. It says this, Epaphras, who is one of you. What does that mean? It means he's from Colossae. He's a Colossian, right? You guys know this. Like Andrew Fritz is a Salemite. So he's one of you. I'm, I'm from North Carolina. I'm still trying to figure out this foreign land. But if you want to know about Salem, we talk to Andrew, right? If you want to know about Colossae, you talk to Epaphras. He's an insider. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For him, I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Those are two nearby cities, Laodicea and Heropolis. But what's, what's Epaphras' gift? Prayer. This guy was known for prayer. We know people like that, I think, where you, it's like that person is a prayer warrior. That person seems to, to love to intercede for others, to care for others, to be dependent. And Epaphras is just a beautiful, shining example of prayer. The next person we, we learn about is the most famous person in this passage, and his name is Luke. And he's most famous because he wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And he was a doctor. He was a physician who had that as his early career. But then he encountered Jesus and encountered all these people who knew Jesus. And he decided to take on the task of being the one who would put the story together. And he would go and interview people throughout their life, learn the stories so that he could write the Gospel of Luke which has changed the world. So what's Luke's gift? Organization, administration, gathering lots of complex details and putting it together in an understandable way because he knew that that story would change people's lives because it changed his. And all it says here is Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. His gift is organization. And then we get one more person here that I want to explain their gift to you. All it says is, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. You may say, what's Demas' gift? It doesn't say anything there. 
Demas is mentioned only twice in the Bible. Once of them is here. This is probably about the year AD 62. The only other time he's mentioned in the Bible is in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, which was probably written in the year 66. So four years later. So we hear about Demas here and we hear about Demas later, four years later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. And in that passage, we learn a little bit more about Demas. It says that Demas has gone away because he is in love with this present world. So Demas had abandoned Paul and had gone his own way because he is, quote, in love with this present world. It's a sobering story with just two small little references. At one time, he's with Paul and he's sending greetings to a church. Four years later, he had fallen in love with the world and had abandoned Paul altogether. What is Demas's gift? Do you know what the name Demas means? Popular. If, you're, if you know the Bible much, you know that a lot of times the names in the Bible are connected to, they're not random names. They're, their meaning of their name has a purpose. And so I'm, I'm supposing here that Demas was probably a pretty outgoing, well-liked, gregarious, gifted person who most people kind of gravitated towards. He had the gift of popularity or power or he had gravitas about him, right? And this is just a sobering point for all of us to say that we are given gifts, each of us, all of us are given gifts in life. And they can be used for great good, like Luke did, to change the world. Or they can be used negatively, that grab our heart and go a different direction. And Demas is just a little bit of a subtle warning, maybe a not so subtle warning, that to be popular does not always mean to be faithful. Let me read a quote from John Stott, who is a famous pastor that I quote often. Um, he says this. This is, this is a little bit talking to myself, too. All Christian preachers have to face this issue. Either we preach that human beings are rebels against God under his just judgment, and that if left to themselves, they're lost, and that Christ crucified, who bore their sin and curse, is the only available Savior. Or we emphasize human potential and human ability with Christ only being brought in to boost us up with no necessity for the cross except to exhibit God's love and so inspire us to greater endeavor. The former way, meaning pointing to the sufficiency of Jesus on the cross, the former way is to be faithful. The latter way is to be popular. And then he has this statement, which sends chills up my spine. It is not possible to be faithful and popular at the same time. So if we live our Christian life hoping that more and more people like us and gravitate towards us and say, wow, you're great. That's not what Christianity offers. It's not what Christianity promises. But what Christianity does promise and offer us is solution for our greatest problem in life, which is our sin problem. So may we not fall into what Demas seemed to fall into, which was 
the alluring trap of power or popularity, but instead may we use our gifts for his glory and for his kingdom. As I finish, I just want to make a couple of closing comments. Um, The last couple of people that are mentioned here in verse 15 onward are are people that um, Paul says to give my greetings to. So as Paul closes this letter, he says, not only am I going to send you greetings, but I want, to, I want, I want you to give uh, my greetings to people that I know there as well. And it shows how much Paul cares for the community of the church. He mentions here the regional church, the brothers at Laodicea, which is the neighboring church. He says, can you say hi to them for me? I love them. I, I miss them. Pass my greetings on to them. And then he talks about the house churches, this woman named Nympha in her house church. He says, can you say hi to her as well? And then finally in verse 17, he says, and say hi to Archippus and tell him, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. Archippus seems to be the pastor of the church, the one that's teaching. And Paul says, pass my greetings on to those people. Again, this this letter was probably written about the year 62. About two years after the writing of this letter, archaeology tells us that there was a massive earthquake in the city of Colossae, which wrecked a lot of the city. Probably people died from it as well. The city was severely damaged and destroyed and maybe never completely restored. And so you just imagine the legacy that Paul was trying to leave this church with in advance of, Paul didn't know that earthquake was coming, but he knew that life would not be easy. And Paul and Jesus know that for us as well, that as we live out our lives, we don't know if there's an earthquake coming or a trial or a tribulation or a difficulty or a COVID-19 pandemic. And God gives us his word to give us assurance and passages like this to know that we are a community that we need one another, that we're all unique and different and gifted, but we're together, that we have God's word to rely on. So Paul finishes by saying, remember my chains. Remember that I'm in prison. Remember what I have sacrificed so that this could go forth to you. And may you be bold and courageous to do the same. Paul was also writing, like I said earlier, not just to the Colossians, but also to the Ephesians to the Philippians. He wrote the book of Philemon, probably all from that same prison cell, encouraging churches all around because he saw this as of utmost importance. And so as we step away from Colossians and step into living for his kingdom, my closing comment from this teaching, from this sermon series is, what is our calling to be? individually within a community. And that's why I put the quote on the front of the bulletin today from a a former missionary named Michael O, who puts it pretty, pretty bluntly for us this way. Again, most of you didn't know the names that we mentioned this morning, Aristarchus, Epaphras, Demas, Nympha. Like these are all somewhat obscure people to us. And you and I are probably somewhat obscure, unknown people to most people around the world as well. But the quote on the front of the bulletin says this, I believe that Jesus is calling for people to be a nobody for him. 
as a positive thing. So be a nobody. Embrace being a nobody for just a moment. People who would forsake the American dream to be part of bringing the gospel hope to the nations. People who don't mind if they are not recognized, respected, praised, or promoted. As long as the name of Jesus is cherished, exalted, and adored. People who understand that Jesus didn't come to this world and die on the cross so that we could have a comfortable suburban life setting and enjoy going to our local church gathering on Sundays. That's a gift to go to church on Sundays. But my gentle encouragement for us is let's be content with being nobodies. Nobodies who point to somebody, Jesus. May we be ones who deflect the light from ourselves and point to the sun himself, the one who shines on us. To be as John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. To live for the kingdom of God means to live in that kind of selfless, joy-filled, content sacrifice. To do it with each other. Be a bunch of nobodies together. Let me close us in prayer. We'll sing one more song to finish. God of, God of the, all the ages, God of, of goodness and grace and love, we pray for your Holy Spirit to, to allow this teaching this morning to, to sit softly on our hearts. It can be a little bit of a, of a hard landing, potentially, being told that we should be a nobody. Um, but God, would you teach us to be your people, people that put your kingdom first, that puts you, the glory of your name ahead of any comfort or joy that we want to find in our own selves? And convince us that the joys we do find apart from you are actually not really joys at all. That popularity we find apart from you is actually an empty, soulless life. May we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who went to the cross for us, who died willingly so that we might be raised and have a new life alongside you. And may that fill our life with deeper purpose, knowing that our lives are meant for others, just as these folks mentioned in Colossians 4, they live their lives for others as well, so that people like us could hear the good news one day. So Lord, um, give us contentment in our spirit as we finish this up and to fill our, fill our lungs with joy as we sing this last song together. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.